We live in a darkened world. It's growing worse each day. Satan has the victory. It's time we stand and say, let's pray. We serve a God that cares. We serve a God that's mighty. He is the one and only to wipe away all tears. Let's pray. We've seen what he can do in the darkest hour. God's our greatest power. He will get us through. Let's pray. We're on the winning side. Remember where he died. That stone was rolled away. So we can boldly say, Let's pray. We serve a God that cares. We serve a God that's mighty. He is the one and only to wipe away all tears. Let's pray. We've seen what he can do in the darkest hour. God's our greatest power. He will get us through. Let's pray. We serve a God that cares. We serve a God that's mighty. He is the one and only to wipe away all tears. Let's pray. We've seen what he can do. In the darkest hour, God's our greatest power. He will get us through. Let's pray. He will get us through. Let's pray. Amen. Enjoy that a little addition there, some additional verses to the song, our opener. And I'm assuming Brother Josh put that together. And so great job there. Enjoy that song. Let's pray. It's our theme this year for the church. It's where uh, the direction the Lord has laid on pastor's heart that we need to grow in. It's an area of, of emphasis in our lives. Let's pray. And, uh, and so uh, it's not just been teaching. It's now time for uh, the application The month of March, we are praying as a church. On Wednesday night, we introduced a program for the month of March. We'll hand these out again. But we're praying, and we set the precedent that prayer happens on a schedule. We saw in David and Daniel, morning, noon, and night, they prayed. And so through the month of March, morning, noon, and night, Monday through Friday, we're gathering here at the church to pray for the production, to pray for the men's conference, and to pray for our building fund offering. And, uh, and so uh, we didn't see just that it should be on a schedule of prayer. We also saw that there should be urgent prayer. We saw in Jesus Christ as he approached the uh, Calvary that he spent urgent and extra time fervently in prayer through the night even. We see that in many other men and examples through scripture. And so we as a church, as we approach some of these big things, 24 hours in advance of men's conference, we're going to pray 24 hours straight. Just like we read the Bible when we moved into this building. 
right? Read the Bible from cover to cover when we moved in here. What a tremendous time. Awesome memories there. And we're going to pray. And so you'll see as you head out this morning, there's tables out in the lobby here. And you can sign up for a slot. They're only 15 minutes long. Maybe you want to take two or three. But we're going to pray 24 hours in advance leading right up to the men's conference. Why? Because we urgently need God. We need his intervention. We need his help. And we need to... We need to truly understand in our hearts that without him, we can do nothing. And so we urgently come before him. And then when we come to this production, uh, we've had a tremendous response, folks, from the marketing. Pastor mentioned that. I think we're up to over 100 folks so far via Facebook uh, advertisements that have registered for tickets. Not church people, just people from the community. And this is a great opportunity for the gospel to be spread, but we urgently need the Holy Spirit to work. And so for 72 hours in advance of that production... We're going to pray straight, starting on Monday night through Tuesday, through Wednesday, through Thursday, when that first family, uh, church family showing is, that uh, dress rehearsal, if you will. Uh, we're going to pray straight up through that. Why? Because we need the Holy Spirit. Without Him, when we can do nothing. Without the Lord, we can do nothing. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I read something this week that said, uh, we as Christians today, we don't have a prayer problem. I thought, that's interesting. The rest of the quote was, we have a faith problem. If we believed we could actually speak to God, we would do it. And I thought that was pretty accurate in a lot of ways. If we really felt like when we prayed, we could get a hold of the ear of God, we would do it more often, I think. If we knew that we had access, if we truly believed it, our faith is weak. And so we don't go as often as we should, or as fervently as we should. We're dependent upon ourselves too often. And so let's pray. And uh, we'll give some details and instructions and give these cards out as we get to the end of the service. we got to jump right into it. We're going to preach through a whole book this morning. So turn to the book of Jude. <laughs> whole book of the Bible. We're going to nail it in one service, all right? Jude chapter uno. There is only one. So just turn there, all right? Jude is a book of the Bible written. Jude is the half-brother of James, who is the half-brother of Jesus. And so we have the half-brother of Jesus has written the book of Jude. And, uh, and Jude is written, oh, some 80 years or so from what I can pick up, A.D., 80 years A.D., somewhere in that range. And so um, we have the, the cross and everything has taken place there. And Jude must have been a lot younger than Jesus. And, uh, and so he, uh, he wrote this book. And it's in a time, a point in history... Um, where the church was being infiltrated. There was some, some difficult things happening, and Jude takes pen in hand under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give some instruction to the church. And before we move through the chapter here, uh, or while you're still turning there, it's right before Revelation, in 1974, there was a boxing match. Um, I was yet to be born. Negative, negative years for me, all right? Negative years old. But many of you might remember this fight. It was in the Republic of Congo. Over 60,000 people gathered in person to watch this boxing match. It's estimated that over a billion people turned in, uh, tuned in via television to watch this match. It was hyped. It was built up. And at the end of eight rounds of boxing, the underdog who was just given a 25% chance of winning, knocked out his opponent in thrilling fashion. 
actually in such fashion that today we all know exactly what this fight is. This is what is called the rumble in the jungle. Muhammad Ali versus George Foreman. And we've all heard, this, heard of this fight. This fight that took place between Ali and Foreman. Foreman being a much young, younger and stronger boxer than Ali. Ali came into this fight as the underdog. He had lost a title. He had it at one point. He had lost the title because he was a draft dodger. And so they took the title away from him. The Boxing Federation did. But he finally got allowed back into boxing. And, and this was his big uh, title fight here to get that, that uh, title back. And so here Ali comes into the rumble in the jungle and fights Foreman. Just a one in four odds the bookies were giving him that he would win this fight. But George Foreman, uh, he had a plan. I'm sorry, George Foreman had a plan. He wanted to win. Ali had studied, though. People didn't think he was really going to be much of a contender. George Foreman was an animal. He was bigger. He was stronger. If you got hit by one of his haymakers, that was usually it, the end. Ali got in there, and he'd been studying his footage, and Ali decided, hey, I've got a plan here, something we know today, some of you may know this term, he decided he was going to do the rope-a-dope. And Ali tucked himself in up against the ropes and just leaned back against the ropes and let Foreman swing and wail and beat on his arms and beat on his gloves. And what Ali did by doing that was he weakened his opponent. George Foreman used all of his strength with those big haymakers, thinking that he was going to penetrate through the defenses. George Foreman wore out before he could win the fight, and in the eighth round, Ali knocked him out. A decisive victory. But nobody thought that he could contend. Nobody thought that he could win this battle. That he was going to come out victorious. I bring up this this fight, this contention that took place between Muhammad Ali and George Foreman, because in the scripture this morning in Jude, we read in verse number three, Beloved, when I, give, I, get, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, uh, he was just thinking he was going to write a letter initially to encourage them in the salvation. Talk about salvation. He said, I gave all diligence to do that. He said, however, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. He said, I just wanted to write a letter of encouragement teaching you about salvation, but when I sat down to do that, the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and said, hey, I want you to teach these folks that they need to contend for the faith. That they need to fight for the faith which they had received. The faith in Jesus Christ, that Christ had come and had uh, died on the cross, lived a sinless, perfect uh, life, was crucified, was buried in a tomb, rose again, what we refer to as the gospel. He said, I I want to write to you that you earnestly contend for this faith. The book of Jude is misleading in some ways when you just read it on the surface. Because he tells them, I want you to contend for the faith, and then he goes on to instruct them in verse number 4, for there are certain men. And immediately our mind's eye goes to, okay, here's a visible opponent. Someone we need to fight. These are, he's going to show us right now. He's going to teach us our enemy so we know how to fight our enemy, right? That's what it sounds like here. And he goes into verse number four. There are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying only 
the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been in Sunday school, you've been learning of such men, the Judaizers. Turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. But this was not an isolated incident. This is penned and preserved because it's still a problem in the church today. That there are men who creep in unawares and, and Jude tells them, he paints this picture, he says, Hey, church, I need for you to contend for the faith. Contend to fight. And in many ways, we may look at the, the opponent that we face and say we're the underdog. Well, in our flesh we are, but certainly not with Christ. Paul goes on, or uh, I'm sorry, Jude. I'm in Galatians mode here. I've got to switch to Jude mode. Jude goes on to say, or explain. All the way down through verse 12, he begins to explain who these certain men are. And they sound like a formidable foe. In verse number 4, he says that these men have crept in unawares. That they're in the church, but nobody knows who they are. Man, so already right off the bat, our enemy, he's telling, teaching us, contend for the faith. Then he starts instructing us about this certain man that is in the church and you don't know who he is. Obviously by man, meaning man or woman, the mankind. Verses 5 through 7, he says that this certain man always has a good start. Just like the children of Israel, just like the angels who were in heaven that fell. And just like Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot started out good but ended up bad. These men will creep into the church and, and, and they'll be doing good. It seems like they're doing good, but in the end, their end won't be so good. He goes on to describe this man in verse number 8 as a physically impure man. This man has a, a lust problem, a sensual problem physically in his mind. And he's a verbally divisive person. This person, he, he, he says in verse number 8 that he, he, uh, that he, he goes against the, the authorities. He speaks evil of dignities. God-ordained authority. This man in verse number 11, as we see here, has gone the way of Cain. If you go back to Genesis chapter 4, you see the way of Cain is that he had an empty faith. He came in his own works to bring God what he thought he should bring. Whereas his brother Abel brought a sacrifice of faith. And so this man who's in the church, he, he has an empty faith. It's a show... And no go. It's all show and no go. He's gone the way of Cain. The Bible says that he's gone greedily after Balaam. Who was Balaam? Balaam was a man who served at the pleasure of money, not at God's will. We could, you can read that story over there in the book of Numbers. 22 through 25 speaks of Balaam and how he, he prophesied according to who paid him the highest dollar. I'll tell you what you want to hear, just give me enough money. And he's saying that there are people in the church today who are just there for the profit, what they can gain. In verses, uh, verse number 11, it says that if they've gone the way of Korah, of Kor, this is referring to Korah in Numbers chapter 16. Korah's lie was that he convinced a bunch of people that Moses had too, too much power. You don't need to follow pastoral leadership. Korah talked to me and he said, oh, that pastor, he's always, he's always trying to take us somewhere. He, do, he doesn't have any right to do that. He's intervening in our lives. Korah went against Moses and Moses has too much power. Well, Moses said, okay, well, come on. And they put that test up, right? Between Moses and Korah. And he said, we'll, we'll let God choose. And Moses and Korah are standing next to each other. And, and God says, Moses, you better stand aside. You're the chosen man. 
You're the man I elected to lead these people. And so Moses steps aside and the Bible says that God splits open the earth and swallows up Korah and all the people who had followed after him. There's a, this certain man that the Bible is talking about in Jude is a, is a man who's divisive inside of the church and is, is, is going against the pastoral leadership, is going against God-ordained authority. That's who this certain man is. The Bible says that these people are busy in the church. This certain man is busy in the church. Verse number 12 says there are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water. What are these people? They're coming in. Hey, they're coming to the potluck and they're not bringing a dish. They're a, a, a rain cloud without any rain. They're a tree that's full of greenery with no fruit. The, the certain man is a man who is in the church but has no produce to show. No fruit of the Spirit. I mean, we see that he begins to paint a picture here of this man that's in the church, this certain man. Verse number 16, he says, These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts. It says, even says, that, hey, they've got a buttery tongue. They tell you what you want to hear. And they're your buddies because of advantage. They hold some kind of influence or power over you where you look up to them. He paints this picture of this man who's in the church who is doing all these things. This description that we read here. Now, if we're honest, at some points we may even have been this man. Some of us may yet become this man. And Jude is telling the church here that you ought to contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. And he paints the picture of this man who we might assume is the enemy. But he's not. He's not the one we're supposed to be focused on. Paul paints the picture to, to show the church that uh, this man is dangerous and, and we ought not to have characteristics that define us like this man is defined. We ought not to have uh, th- these attributes that we saw in these first verses. We don't want to become this man. And we very well could. The Bible says they're, they're in us right now. Their start, beginning is good, but their end's not going to be good. And so when, Paul, or when Jude gives the instruction here to contend for the faith, he's not pointing out a, an enemy that's inside the church that you need to attack. And, and I, I mentioned this in class this morning. Far too often in the church today, we're on attack against each other. There is no unity. There's a lot of division. And it's not just inside of this church. It's in the church as a whole. In the, in, in the United States, and uh, well, more prevalently in the United States, but around the world. People are constantly on the prowl. They're on the attack. They're tearing down. That's not how it ought to be. Yeah, we see that there are things that are wrong. We see misbehaviors. And, 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 and Jude points them out. He says, hey man, these things are wrong. Don't act like this. Don't behave like this. This is wrong. This certain man is wrong. But... I want you to look with me in verse 17. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time. Who should walk after the lusts of their own godly, or walk after their own ungodly lusts. 
These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. God points here through inspiration, and Jude pens down, hey, these people that are doing all these things that characterize the certain man that we see emphasized in these first beginning 16 verses, he said, they are not your enemy. And that's not who I want you to contend with. He said, it's been prophesied from the very beginning. The apostles said, there's going to be mockers. There's going to be these people in the end time. There is nothing you can do about that. They are going to be here. It's the fulfilling of prophecy. Can you or I stop prophecy? No. And so then he gives some instruction to the church. How they truly should contend. Our contention is not one with another. We are to be united. We know over in Matthew chapter 13, if you take some time and read that later on, there's a parable the Lord gives to the disciples. He said, there was a farmer. I'm going to paraphrase it. There was a farmer. And the farmer went out and sowed some wheat. While the wheat was growing, the enemy came in and threw in a bunch of weeds, the tares. And the Farmhand said, Master, didn't you plant wheat? Why are all the tares grown up within the wheat? And the master of the harvest said, The enemy snuck in and did it in the night. He threw the tares in. Well, what are we going to do, God? We've got to leave the tares there. If you start going after the tares right now, it's going to uproot the good wheat. And so you just need to let it go. And when it comes time for harvest... I'll separate the wheat from the tares. And the tares will be consumed in a fire and the wheat will harvest. See, there may be people in the church who have no relationship with God. They have no intention of serving God. It's about self and a selfish desire, fulfilling selfish pleasures, just like the certain man. But if we go in and we're at each other's throat all the time, all we're going to do is weaken our brothers in Christ. We're not going to strengthen them. We'll let the Lord sort that out. We'll let him take care of the problem when it comes time for the harvest. We just need to be the right kind of contenders for the faith. And this morning, that's very briefly what I want to give to you. How do we then contend for the faith? If it's not against the enemy or these people that we perceive are doing wrong, how do we truly contend for the faith? Well, it's right here in our passage. Four simple things that we do to contend for the faith. Father, I do pray that you would speak through the message this morning. Lord, that you would help us to stand and fight for the faith. The way that you instruct us to fight for the faith. Not in our own flesh or our own strength, but according to your spirit. Under direction and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. That the truth of this message would come across and there would be no confusion. Lord, we know that the Bible is very clear that we are to come out from the world and be separate from them, that we are to stand for right, that we are to mark those who cause division. But Lord, we know that it's not our job to tear them down or uproot them. That's your job. Lord, I pray that you would help us to contend for the faith the way that we ought to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In Jude chapter 1, verse 18, Jude really gets down to the instruction on how we're to contend for the faith. 
This is really where it comes in. He gave the the verse in verse number 3. He said, hey, I want you to contend for the faith. He describes the certain man and the wickedness that we see and how we might so easily become distracted and think that's our enemy. And then he gets into the details in verse number 18. I'm sorry. Verse number 20. But ye, but ye, earnestly contend for the faith. There's a certain man... He's in there, he's tearing things up. But ye, those of you that want to serve the Lord, you're the but ye's. Those of you that have a heart to serve the Lord, genuinely love the Lord, you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you're the but ye's here. Here are the ones he wants to contend. And this is how you're supposed to contend for the faith. Verse number 20. But ye, beloved, building yourself on your most holy faith. Hey, if you're going to contend for the face of faith, the first thing that you need to do is not look around at the enemy and say, this is how I'm going to attack and this is their weakness. It's not to come up like a, a, with a formula like uh, Muhammad Ali did, the rope-a-dope. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility first and foremost here, the Bible says, is to build up on your most holy faith. The first thing in order to contend for the faith is you've got to look in. When we think of a battle, we start to look out. We start to look at those that are around us. But the instruction here, if you're going to contend for the faith, is to look in. Build up yourselves. What's that word? What's the word right there? Can someone tell me? Build up yourselves. What is it? In or on? On. Instinctively, we would say, build yourself up in your faith. No, you've already received the faith. That's the foundation. He pointed that back to verse number three. He said, here you've received the faith, the common salvation. That's the fact that we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. You know what? We have our attention so much on the world that there are, there are people who are lost and dying and on their way to hell who sit in the church who are trying to build up their faith in something and they, they, have, they have nothing to build on. They've never even accepted Christ as their Savior. We say we're contending for the faith, and there's people week in and week out who sit in auditoriums, who have a a reserved seat in in a Baptist auditorium somewhere across America, but they themselves have never even accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Sure, they can look around and they say, oh, that person's sensual. Oh, that person's uh, greedy. Oh, that person's gone the way of Cain. They have empty faith. They're looking all around at an enemy when really they should be looking in and saying, you know what, is my salvation settled? What am I building on? What am I building on? And I pose the question to you this morning, what are you building upon? Your salvation is just the start. It's the beginning of your relationship with God. What are you building on today? Too often we build upon our life in a very temporal way. We build with materials that are easily consumed. So maybe you're here today and you have accepted Christ as your Savior, and I trust that you have, and you know for sure heaven's your home, but what are you building with? 
The Bible makes it clear to us that there is a group of people who are building in their lives with things that are wood and hay and stubble. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 says, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is, Christ, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If we're to earnestly contend for the faith, first of all, we have to be in the faith, and then we need to be building on the faith. And so what are you building on the faith with? Has your mindset shifted to a, an earthly comfort? Have the things of this world grown sweeter to you than the things of eternity? The Bible says that men build upon their faith with wood and hay and precious stone. And gold and silver. But in the end, the fire will, will fall and those things will be consumed. And all that building will have been in vain. What are you building upon in your life? How are you building? Do you want to contend for the faith? I want to contend for the faith. I want it to pass down. I've got five children. I want them to, to know what salvation truly is. And not just my children, I want my grandchildren. And should God uh, tarry and, and not return, I want uh, the line that comes from me uh, to all know the Lord and know what it is to serve the Lord out of love. But if I'm so busy building in my life that wood and that hay and that stubble, if I've become obsessed with the things of this world, if my relationship with God is just a supernatural thing, or superficial thing, not supernatural, superficial thing, if it's just a display, those things are going to burn up. So what are you building with upon your faith? I'd also like to ask you, who is doing the building upon your faith? Far too often we push the responsibility of our faith being built up upon some spiritual leader. Is it possible that the only building upon of your faith that has taken place this week is the building that you're receiving right now, another man depositing something into your life. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible says that God ordained pastors and teachers and evangelists for the edifying of the saints. They're here for a reason, but they should not be the primary builders of your faith. You should be building upon your faith. Have you invested in your faith this week? Have you spent time building upon your faith this week? Oh, I want to fight the good fight. Oh, I want the faith to continue. Have you built upon your faith this week? If you are to earnestly contend for the faith, you need to build upon the faith. Take a look in. Stop looking around at the enemy and pointing out all their faults. Take a look inward. See what is being built upon in your life. It says here in verse number 20, to build up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Man, there it is right there. And, and honestly, that little phrase is what caught my attention. That emphasis on prayer has me focused on pray every time I see it. And when I saw that word in the verse, I was like, okay, I got to stop and figure out what this means. And that's what brought me into this whole thing. Praying in the Holy Ghost. 
Hey, that look inward, what it says is i got to build upon my faith. I've got to walk with God. I've got to strengthen and, and, and feed the Spirit so that I can honestly and earnestly contend for the faith. I've got to build upon my faith. And when I build upon my faith, then there's prayer in the Holy Ghost. That quote that I mentioned at the beginning caught my attention because prayer is not the problem in the church. It's a lack of faith that's the problem. See, because we're not building upon our faith, there is no praying in the Holy Ghost. What is praying in the Holy Ghost? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we don't have time to go over there, but if you were to read that, write that down. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, He makes groanings for us that cannot be uttered. You know, there's times in our lives that we don't know how to pray, we don't know what's the wise way to pray, but when we're in the Holy Ghost, we're praying according to God's will. Lord, I submit myself to you. Holy Spirit, I need wisdom, I need guidance, I need direction. It's praying in the Holy Ghost. It comes when we build upon our faith. Do you pray that way? The Bible says that to contend for the faith, we need to take a look inward. Second thing that we see here in verse number 21 is that we are to look up. First of all, if you're to contend for the faith, look in. Where are you at spiritually? Secondly, look up. In Jude chapter 21, it says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Look, keep yourselves in the love of God. And isn't that an amazing fact? If I'm to contend for the faith, you know what I need to do very often in my life? I need to remember why I'm a Christian. I need to keep myself in the love of God. I need to constantly remind myself, why am I where I'm at today? Why do I have the blessing that I have in my life today? Why has, why has God been so good to me? We need to stop and reflect and keep ourselves in the love of God. Oh man, it's an amazing thing. I am on my way to heaven. If I were to walk out of this building... And get hit by a truck, doesn't matter, I'm going to heaven. If this building were to cave in right now on top of my head, doesn't matter, I'm on my way to heaven. Not because I've earned it, not because I deserve it, but because of his love. I didn't do anything to deserve it. Not a single thing. As a matter of fact, I did the exact opposite. I did everything not to deserve it. And the Bible says here, hey, if we're to contend for the faith... If we're to fight for the faith, if we want the faith to continue, we have got to remember it's because of his love that we have the faith at all. Keep yourself in the love of God. Looking for that mercy. <laughs> what does mercy bring to mind for you? That by definition, mercy is not getting what I do deserve. Grace is God giving me something I did not deserve. Mercy is not getting what I do deserve. Do you know how vile you are? Do you know how wicked you are? The Bible says, for all have sinned, fall short. We all know what we're like. We know our minds. We know our hearts. We know the thoughts that pop in out of seemingly nowhere. 
We know the battles that we face day to day like nobody else, except for God, who knows exactly what's going on in our hearts and our lives, knows exactly what's going on in our minds, and yet still opens up that limitless supply of mercy and pours it out afresh and anew every single day of our life. If you want to contend for the faith, don't let pride creep in. Don't think that you're somebody. Pride lifted up Lucifer. I will be, I will be, I will become. And it caused his downfall. Too many Christians, we get in a point where we've been saved and our suits are fitting really good and we're looking good, the ties look good, the, the dresses look good, and we sit in the church seats and we, we fill a role and we're teaching a Sunday school class and we're like, yeah, you know, things are looking pretty good for me. And that may sound cliche and we may use illustrations like that regularly, but it, we use them regularly because they're very accurate. We can start feeling good about who we are. And, and he says, hey, if you're going to contend for the faith, if you really want to fight for the faith, if you want it to be passed on to the next generation, if you want to see the lost one for Christ, then the way that you do it is you take a look inward. Make sure your salvation's settled. Make sure that you're building upon your faith. Make sure that you're praying in the Holy Ghost. And then take a look up and remember that you received something you did not deserve. And you're not getting what you do deserve because of his love and because of his mercy. How often do you stop and reflect upon that? Your gift to salvation. I hope it's often. Because that's how you contend for the faith. And Jude tells the church here, he says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Look up. And then he jumps into verse number 22. This is some of the most common verses out of Jude. Verse 22 and verse 23. He's told them to look in. He's told them to look up. And now he tells them to look out. Not look outside, but keep a lookout. And if some have compassion, making a difference... And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Hey, if you want to contend for the faith, church, if you want to make sure that it's going to continue on strong, then look out. Look out at a world who is lost and dying. Don't keep your eyes shuttered. Don't be like the horse that has the blinders on, walking through life, head down, just going from work to church to work to hobby, to home. Never once taking a lookout for the people who are around us. If we're to contend for the faith, it's not the enemy that is this certain man who is the person we fight. If we're to contend for the faith, we've got to take a lookout for people who are around us. We've got to take the blinders off. We've got to first look in and realize we've got a faith and it's because of the mercy and love of God and other people need to know. And if some have compassion, he says, here's how you look out. First of all, have compassion. And the second thing he says is in some, 
save with fear. Some you have to confront. If we're to contend for the faith, there's people that we can just, with love, they're able to see it in our lives, they're able to see it through our lives. Other people won't get it that way. Other people we need to confront. Hey, do you know for sure that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? Do you understand that there's a consequence to sin? This is how we are to contend for the faith. To take a look out. To look around us and see that there is a world that is lost and dying and going to hell. Let me ask you this morning, does that stir you at all? Does it stir your heart? If not, repeat steps one and two until it does. Look in and look up. Look in and look up. Look in and look up. If you are not stirred and have no compassion for the lost world and don't see a people that are dying and going to hell, you need to look in and make sure that you're in the faith and building on the faith. And then you need to stop and look up and realize it's just by love that you've received it in the first place. Oh, yeah, I'm worried about the lost. Well, who are you loving on? Who are you loving to the gospel right now? Who? Who is it? Who's that person? Oh, I'm contending for the faith. I'm fighting for the faith. Who are you confronting? Who have you confronted about their need for salvation? Let's be honest. We talk a good game. When we talk about souls that are dying and going to hell, in an auditorium, on Sunday morning, in the 11 o'clock service, the church who is here every week says, they got to learn. They need to know that they can be saved. But then we never share it once throughout the week. Yet we'll look around us and we'll say, ah, this person at church, they're just such a fake. They're the ones that are tearing, they're, they're tearing the church down. They're going to be the downfall of the church. I just don't like their attitude. You sit back in your chair and you watch somebody serving from across the room and you say, oh, those people, they're just doing it for their own glory. They just, they're just prideful and they just want, uh, they just want a position and, and you're sitting back judging, we're sitting back judging and looking at them saying, oh, they just want to be up on the platform and they're just trying to get recognition for all that they're doing. You're not contending for the faith, you're contending against it. You want to contend for the faith? Stop looking around trying to tear everybody down around you. And look out. Look out to a world where we'll pass dozens of people in a day who will wind up in hell because we have no compassion and we will not confront them. Our pride has crept in. Our flesh has gotten in the way. Oh yes, I'm contending for the faith. Are you really?
Or are you just contending against the certain man? Look in, look up, look in, look up, look out. Verse number 24 as we close. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Man, you get through the whole book of Jude. And I'm telling you, I flew through this thing. When you start to study that certain man and you start to look at his attributes, if you're honest with yourself, there's a lot of the certain man in all of us. And then you get to this part and he's telling us how we're actually supposed to be contending for the faith when all along we've been contending the wrong way. And I honestly, when I got to the end of those verses there where he said, look in and look up and look out, I'm like, I'm looking like a jerk. That's what I'm looking like. I'm looking like I don't contend for the faith. And honestly, I was kind of discouraged. I'm thinking to myself, man, I can't, I'm not fighting the way I ought to be fighting. And more often than not, I'm... I have, I murmur, I complain. I'm this certain man, and I get to the end of this thing, I'm like, man, I am the, tr- I'm trash. And then I get to these verses here, and you know what? I need to look in, and I need to look up, and I need to look out, but you know what? I can look happy too. You know why I can look happy? Because the Bible tells me here, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. I'm going to fail. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to be the certain man at certain times in my life. But if I will look in, if I will look up and I will look out, then he will keep me from falling. If I will depend upon him, if I will rely upon him, if I will stop trying to fight the battle that I see that I, the way I should fight it, if I stop trying to contend against my brothers and contend against the things I don't like and just start contending for the faith the way that he wants me to, the Bible says that he is able to keep me from falling. Not only that, that he will present you faultless before the presence of his glory. How? With exceeding joy. Hey, you know what? Because of my salvation and because of his love and his mercy, when I stand before God, it's not going to be a brutal experience. If I've contended for the faith the way that he wanted me to contend... It's not going to be a brutal expansion. Was I perfect? No. Did I take punches? Yeah. Did I get knocked down? Sure. A just man falleth seven times and rises up again. But you know what? In the end, if I'm contending for the faith the way that he instructs me to contend for the faith, my presence in his presence will be a joyful experience. I can look happy. You know, Christians go about our lives just so miserable so often. There's more negative posting on social media by Christians than just about anybody. Hey, we've got no reason to be downhearted. We've got no reason to be discouraged. We've got no reason to be depressed. He will present you. Hey, can I instruct you today? Earnestly contend for the faith. Not the way that you might want to contend. Not by fighting and bickering amongst us. Not by pointing to the man's fault sitting next to us and the guy across the room. Contend the way that he instructs us to contend. It's a short book. All condensed together. 
There's things mentioned in the book of Jude that aren't mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. I have yet to know what the archangel Michael's argument with the devil is over Moses' body has to do with anything. And you'll find that story in there. It's not mentioned anywhere else. But you know what I do know? That God doesn't need me to fight in my own strength. God does not need me to fight in my own knowledge. God does not need me to fight an enemy that I identify as the enemy. Unlike Muhammad Ali, I do not need to study the opponent and come up with the rope-a-dope. God already has the rope-a-dope. You want to win? You want to contend for the faith? Take a look in. What are you building upon and who's building upon it? And what are you building with? And are you praying in the Holy Ghost? Take a look up. And remember that it's the love and mercy of God that you have what you have. For what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? You have nothing that you have not received. It's all because of God. Take a look out. Get out the glasses. Not looking out like, hey, what's going on over there? Take a look out. Get out the binoculars, see the lost world, see those who are dying, have compassion, and do it with confrontation, saving some with fear. And look happy while you're at it, because you might fail. I said look happy. Come on, folks, you're killing me up here. If looks could kill. Look happy, look happy. Why? Because we serve a good God. And, and the keeping of our salvation is not in our hands, it's in His. Look happy. Contend for the faith. We do need a church that contends for the faith. We need to be a church that contends for the faith. And so I admonish you and I encourage you, I exhort you. The way that Jude exhorted the church in that time is still very relevant for us today. Church, I'm telling you today, earnestly, fervently, in a dedicated way, contend for the faith. Follow his plan. Not contention, contending. If you're here today and you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is no hope. For you to contend in the faith, on the faith, with the faith. You have to be in it first. If you're sitting in this auditorium today, it's very possible, whether you've been sitting in this auditorium for 25 years or whether you have just sat in here for the last 35 minutes, it's very possible that you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Get into the faith today. Get in the fight today. Today is the day of salvation. Oh, I'd be too, I'd be too embarrassed. I'd be too embarrassed to, to raise my hand and say that I, I need to get it settled. What's, it, what's eternal security worth? We'll, we'll jeopardize our whole eternity for people that we'll never ever see again. The Bible says that we're all sinners and we all deserve hell. But God commended his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Hey, with compassion, I'm telling you today, experience the love of Christ. Accept this gift of salvation. And with confrontation, I'm telling you today, if you do not accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that our punishment must be paid by somebody, and that somebody will be me and you. If we do not call upon the name of the Lord, we will spend an eternity in hell. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Your body will surely die, but each and every one of us inside of us contains the Spirit. And if we have not been saved, if we have not called upon the name of the Lord, Our spirit will die. The second death will take place in our lives. And you and I, if we have not called upon the name of the Lord, will spend an eternity in hell. Oh, that's harsh. And some save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Hey, folks, I want you to know today that there is a God who loves you, and he has already paid the price. He doesn't want to send you to hell. He's made a way to keep you from there. You will be the only person who sends yourself to hell. If you reject him, if you reject his gift of salvation, I implore you, I beg with you today, if you are not in the faith, accept him as your savior. And church, the rest of us, let's contend for the faith. Look in, look up, look out, and look happy. Father, Lord, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the message that you've given for today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to earnestly contend for the faith. Lord, as you've met with us this morning, I know that you gave me utterance. I know that you directed me. You enabled me. My body is weak today. I'm sick, and you carried me through, and I praise you for that. And Lord, as you've met with us, you have no doubt worked in people's hearts and lives. Lord, right now I pray before we take even any further steps in this invitation, if there is somebody here today who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray that today they would get that settled, that they would not let pride or worry or concern about the people around them keeping from, keep them from accepting Christ as their Savior. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're in this room today, you say, Brother Kavanaugh, I can honestly say without a shadow of a doubt, I have no hesitance at all, without any doubt whatsoever, as sure as I know my name, I know that I will spend my eternity. When I die, I know I will spend my eternity in heaven. If you, by way of testimony, would just raise your hand and say, yes, I'm 100% sure I'm on my way to heaven. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. If that's you and you're in here today, would you raise your hand by way of testimony? Hold it up high. Aren't you proud of the fact? Praise the Lord for His love. Praise the Lord for his mercy. We don't deserve it. He gave it to us. You can put your hand down. Maybe you're in this room today. You say, Brother Kavanaugh, you know what? It's not easy for me to admit. And I don't want to raise my hand in front of this group of people. Hey, but folks, listen. Their heads bowed and their eyes closed. Nobody's looking around. Just between you and I, would you let me pray for you? Say, I don't know for sure. I do not have it 100% settled. I do not 100% without a shadow of doubt know that I'm on my way to heaven. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Is there anyone in here? Say, I do not know for sure. 
Hey, this is, a, this is a thing of certainty. Do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. I see a hand. Is there anybody else today? Say, I don't know for sure. I'm not 100% sure that I've got it settled. Anyone else? Hey, don't worry about the crowd around you. Don't worry about who is or who isn't raising their hands. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, today, get it settled. Would you raise your hand one more time as I scan the auditorium? Anyone who would say, I, I would like you to pray for me. I, will, I don't know for sure that heaven's my home. I, I see that hand. Is there anyone else? I don't know for sure heaven's my home. I want to get it settled today. I want to get it settled. Is there anyone in here today? Father, I do pray for this one who's raised their hand, Lord. He says, and I don't have it settled. They don't know for sure that heaven's their home. I pray that you would work in their heart, work in their lives. Give them the courage to deal with this, to get it settled, to know for sure that heaven is their home. Lord, I have no doubt that in a group this size, there's some who have reserved the right to raise their hand. They're thinking in their hearts right now that they don't have it settled. Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage and even just a moment as we open the invitation for them to come forward to be shown from the Word of God how they can be saved. If you would stand with me this morning as the piano begins to play.